0: Every year, I celebrate March 2nd as Chickadee Day, the anniversary of my seeing my first black-capped chickadee in 1975. This year, several people expressed surprise that I still remember the exact day I saw a chickadee, but that's the day I started my life list. Most birders, including those who are most diligent about keeping lists of the birds they've seen, saw lots of chickadees and other common birds long before they decided to keep a life list. Before the eBird Birding app, a lot of people checked off the birds they'd seen on some form of checklist card or in a favorite field guide. When they started birding, they checked off chickadees, robins, ducks, geese, and other everyday species without entering the date. When I started, I'd never identified any wild birds except pigeons, house sparrows, robins, cardinals, a single blue jay I'd seen when I was about seven, and a pair of sandhill cranes who flew over our class on a field trip at Rose Lake Wildlife Management Area near the Michigan State Campus sometime in 1974. I'd never have had a clue what they were except that our professor called them out. They were stunningly beautiful and memorable, but I never wrote the date down. Something about birds seemed so wonderful and amazing that when my mother-in-law gave me a field guide and binoculars for Christmas when I was 23, I decided that unlike my usual haphazard way of doing things, I was going to be extremely diligent with birdwatching. Before I ever took my new binoculars outside, I read that new Peterson guide cover to cover, then read both the Golden Guide and Joseph Hickey's A Guide to Birdwatching. Two and a half months later, the day I set out to be a bird watcher, the only bird I saw was the chickadee, which remained alone on my life list for three days until I saw mallards on the Red Cedar River. Four days after that, I saw both starlings and house sparrows. I'd seen cardinals through my whole childhood, but didn't count one on my life list until that March 17th. I saw my first pigeons on the 19th, robins on the 20th, and blue jays on the 23rd. The only remaining bird I'd already seen but did not have on my life list was the Sandhill Crane. It took over two years until April 30, 1977 for me to add that one at Stevens Point in Wisconsin after we'd moved from Michigan. It was well over a decade before I finally saw cranes again in Michigan. My daughter started a life list in 1988 when she was four, but she kept it up only until she reached 50, the benchmark at which I'd promised her I'd give her a brand new copy of the National Geographic Society's Field Guide to Birds of North America. My older son Joe was never the least bit interested in keeping a life list, and Tom wasn't until when he was six, I dragged Russ and the kids to Grand Marais to see an extremely rare fork-tailed flycatcher on May 6, 1992. When we got there, two Canadian birders were already searching, and when the three of us found it, their triumphant exuberance, along with the fact that the bird really was spectacular, inspired Tom to start his life list, too. But unlike his mother, Tom did not start with this amazing rarity as his number one bird and go from there. I dragged him to a local wetland that very morning after we saw some birds at the feeder, so he started his life list with them, putting the fork-tailed flycatcher all the way down at number 25. It had taken me over two months to get my own life list that long. But that's the point. There is no right or wrong way to keep a life list. Now most birders, including me, put our sightings into Cornell's eBird app and let the software keep track, giving our sightings value far beyond our personal lists. But even that isn't essential to be a birder, as long as you're out there enjoying birds. As my friend Eric Brunke says, it's all good. I'm Laura Erickson, speaking for the birds.